Welcome to the Cine Meh Podcast, a place to discuss and deconstruct perfectly average movies. Not good movies, not bad movies, just fine movies. So fine, in fact, you probably forgot they even exist. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. I'm Joshua. And while we may not be nearly as forgettable as these films, we probably run a close second. That's right. Adequate films for adequate folk. Josh, what do you got for me today? All right. Episode two, season <laughs> season three, episode two. <laughs> Here Woo-hoo. we go. <laughs> you already know who we are. I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. And welcome to the show. Uh, the, this uh, before we get into this film, yeah. Real quick, Ryan, I I thought I should share some news because I think okay. I think we did it again, Ryan. Did uh, we? <laughs> we? We've talked. Uh, we have a we have another podcast. Listeners, if you're if you're ever interested, um, Morning Radio TBD is our uh, fun whatever podcast where we just talk about whatever the heck we talk want to. Uh, we have a habit of breaking stories and <laughs> digging into stories on that podcast that later uh, have some sort of impact on the world. We've done we're it a few s- times. Yeah, we're only slightly facetious on this. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Um, but that the, the happened a couple times where we've addressed something and then it, it gets uh, bigger coverage through like other major mediums that people pay attention to rather than right. us. <laughs> but I think cinema did it this time. I no think kidding. the Cinema podcast did it this time. What, what did we do? Ryan, it's effing Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers is trending. Is it on the rise? <laughs> 1993 Super Mario yes. is getting a 4K re-release in Japan next yes. month. Yes, that's that's exactly the kind of cultural impact that I want this podcast to have. Why though? Why? What made them go? Oh, you know, we should give Bob Hoskins another chance. Look, if if you're not familiar with with our commentary on the uh, on this movie, go back and listen to that episode because I think I state some really good points about how it is an underrated cyberpunk classic. Well, and fitting with our current season, I would still argue that uh, if it wasn't Super Mario, it might be a stronger film. Exactly, and that's the thing is it's it's so not Super Mario that it's it, it's almost very clear that somebody had a script. And then they had the opportunity to, to wrap Super Mario into it, and so they were like, "Let's let's figure out a way to, to shoehorn in this element that doesn't really fit here," um, because that's what we we almost see with a lot of the movies that we're, we're covering this season is that, that somebody had a script or a story or a conceit, and they're like, "Oh, but we could make more money if we attached this name to it," because um, that movie is it is not Super Mario. It's a it, or if it is, it's the most art house reinterpretation of Super Mario that exists so far. I love that movie. So I, I came across this on the Nerdist website. Uh, and according to the Nerdist article, in okay. Japan, this movie is called Super Mario, Goddess of the Demon Empire. Oh my God. How do you not love that? <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. But also with a title like that, I feel like that sets you up for even more disappointment. It does sort of let you down. There's there's no doubt about that, yeah. Or between that title and the movie poster, you're standing there going, what the fuck is this movie? What is this movie? Yep. (laughs) Super Mario, Goddess of the Demon Empire. That that title goes super hard. That is a fantastic title. But I, I feel like everything in Japan goes super hard. Like, they don't do anything in between. No. No, but this isn't a Japanese movie. That doesn't matter. They're still gonna they're still gonna retcon the title. God, I wonder what Barbie is in Japan. Uh oh, Barbie: The Revenge of Ken, something along those lines. Ooh, okay, yeah, it's not not bad. Not yeah, bad. it's it's not quite there. I, I need to dial it up another like eight notches. But so yeah, uh, se- September fifteenth, yeah. this I movie love it. will come out in theaters. I think I think one of the big things is not so much that it's coming out in Japanese theaters, although I do want to kind of follow up and see what kind of numbers it does, okay. um, but that it's getting a 4K release. Interesting. Like, after sitting in, <laughs> again, go back and listen to our podcast, we talk about <laughs> booting this DVD up, and it has like two buttons on That's the menu. It. 
it's it's like play and subtitles maybe i don't even know if it was subtitles it was <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so if we get a a home video 4k release yep. like this is skipping blu-ray entirely it's a 4k <laughs> release uh, they might add a third button. I don't know. They, they may might add a third button. They may add a third button. Something else. You know, they can't really do commentary on that one anymore. I don't think there's anybody left alive who would. So, I think John Leguizamo would. You think I so? Think, yeah, he I, seems like a good sport. Yeah. Well, and I think he's very proud of what he brought to that film. That's true. Uh, if not of the film itself, I think he's very proud of his role in it. His role in it. That's that's a good point. It's a good point. So, with that going in that vein. Yeah, uh, I think we can get into our own uh, film today. Yeah, so I, I need to point this out as we jump into it. Last week, we discussed Doom, which was released in 2005. And one of the movies that we reference in that episode is Batman Begins, because it also released in 2005. And we, we talked about just like the cultural moment uh, of like trying to make these sort of like more realistic versions of fantasy things. And that basically our argument was they tried to science Doom and make it realistic almost in the same vein as like Batman Begins, which was like trying to be a realistic take on on Batman. It's a little funny then that our movie today uh, was released in 2008, the same year as The Dark Knight. So uh, we, we are following the release of the Batman movies right now. And uh, I, I, uh, this, this movie is not as good as The Dark Knight. I'll just I'll say that. <laughs> it's not now i gotta find if any of our films on this list came out in uh 2013 2013 uh just to to sync up <laughs> to sync up yeah. uh we might have one who knows Let's, yeah. i'll take a look uh but yes this is this film is another video game adaptation mm-hmm. and we're not doing all video games this season right uh, but this one is it is max Payne from 2008 max Payne. Um, this is a, so, um, I have a, like, I, I was passionate about the Doom movie because I actually just enjoy the Doom movie. I think it's, I think it's a fine movie. I'm passionate about this because I truly love the first two Max Payne games. Max Payne 1 and 2, um, are among my favorite modern, like, film noir, um, hard-boiled detective stories. Uh, I think that the, the games were excellently written. And by excellently written, the these were movies or these were video games that managed to be very meta and self-aware without being overly meta and self-aware. Because I, I think we see this sort of escalation these days where movies all want you to know that the movie itself is in on the joke, uh, and they go a little too hard on the self-awareness aspect. Um, the Max Payne games were very self-aware, so uh, but without being over the top about it. And they don't take themselves so seriously that uh, you're you you almost get lost in the fact that you're playing a, a video game that is designed to look like a comic book that is designed to look like a film noir. Um, the Max Payne games are just supremely cool. They are just cool. They tell a very good story. Um, it's heart wrenching. It's dramatic. It's uh, it, 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 it's rock and roll. Um, this movie is none of those things. So I think it's pretty funny because we started with Doom and I came into the episode where I was like, this movie kind of sucks. And you were like, I will defend this movie. (laughs) Max Payne, I think, is pretty okay movie. And I know you're like, this movie sucks. So (laughs) it's it's nice to have a little role reversal on this. It definitely is. And I, I will be more objective when we get to the what would we think of this movie if it wasn't Max Payne? But uh, I have a lot of like seething anger for this because it's fundamentally not Max Payne. Okay. This movie was directed by John Moore, written by Bo Thorne and Sam Lake. Uh, Budget was 35 million. It made 85.8 million. So a lot of the world agreed with you. Not a great film. No, but not a complete financial flop, especially at that budget. No. Well, yeah, you look at the budget and you're like, oh, that's I could have seen this movie costing more. Yeah. Explain to me how this movie was released three years after Doom and it has double the or it has half the budget of Doom. And I don't I would argue that these movies don't look that different. Well, I think they look very different. But um, honestly, I don't know. I Like maybe 
for as much of the weird stuff you do see in Max Payne, maybe those effects were actually cheaper. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it's about uh, how you spend money and how you strike deals for production companies. Uh, this this is a 20th Century Fox, which means Max Payne might be a Disney prince now. <laughs> I'm not sure. Disney I'm not sure where the right prince. <laughs> I'm not sure where the rights are. Uh, the film rights are currently, but if they're still with Fox, then um, yeah, he can he can cross over with uh, with Deadpool. He can cross over with Moana. Like it, it, good times. Now here's the thing: if they did Max Payne correctly, a Max Payne Deadpool crossover might be one of the coolest fucking movies ever. That would actually be that could be excellent. But they have to do Max Payne right, and they did not do Max Payne right in this movie. Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess let's get into it. This is a, an amazing cast, a random ass cast. Yes. Uh, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Terrible. Just destroy the. Uh, we have a great cast. Mark Wahlberg is there. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible casting. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, Bo Bridges, Mila yeah. Kunis, Ludacris, uh, Chris O'Donnell in a yeah. random ass role. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like <laughs> we last saw him. Uh, Going beyond the vertical limit. <laughs> that was very Nick Cage of you. And then uh, this is our second film in a row with a Bond girl. Yes. Olga, and I I, I will never be able to pronounce her, her last name right, but uh, Kirilenko? Yeah. So in, in Doom, Doom featured Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike was in, uh, is it Die Another Day? Die Another Day, yeah. She's the she, fencing. In, oh, no, 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 no. That's uh, not the fencing instructor. That was Madonna. But yeah, she's in Die Another Day. Yeah. Yeah. So she is uh she she was uh, the last Pierce Brosnan. Yep. uh Bond film and then Olga, she was one of the Bond girls. She was the main Bond girl in Quantum of Solace mm-hmm. with Daniel Craig. So it was interesting to see her. I was like, "Oh, I recognize you." Yeah, and she's done a couple of roles uh, and it's sort of like we, we were talking about with Doom. Like there are members of this this cast that you probably see them and you're like, I know who that is, but you, you just, you wouldn't be able to necessarily place them. Like Donald Logue as Alex Balder, people will know Donald Logue when they see him, but they, they won't, they won't necessarily know why. Like he was one of the, the, um, like sidekick vampires in Blade. Um, that's right. He was. Yes. I was like, I was thinking he was in Lost, wasn't he? Uh, he might've been, he might've been Lost. Yeah, and then he, he will, most recently I think I saw him in the uh, Gotham TV series as Bullock. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and uh, Kate Burton, uh, who plays Nicole Horn in this movie, is uh, it's another. She's another just like character actor um, that uh, it, it, like it, people who know like some weird weird stuff from the '80s, especially like Big Trouble in Little China. You'll you'll recognize Kate Burton, and you'll be like, oh yeah, I I know her from X Y Z. So. This is another movie with a, a pretty stacked cast. Like, it's a dense cast of names that, even if you don't recognize them right away, you know that you've seen them in things. Um, and for, especially with Bo Bridges, Mila Kunis, and you know what, I'm going to, Chris O'Donnell, I don't think is a terrible actor. Um, like, as as some of your big names in this film, it is, it, it's still astonishing to me that this movie is as shitty as it is. <laughs> <laughs> so basic plot rundown of Max Payne. Max yeah. Payne, he is a New York detective who is um is struggling. He's got a bit of a vendetta. His wife and child were killed and he it's a it's kind of a cold case right now, but he will never let it go until it is solved and he brings those responsible to justice. Yeah. So let me just quickly talk through the video game so that we have something to compare against um, because this follows kind of a similar plot to the video game, but there is some departure. Um, very similar. The video game follows Max Payne. You you are Max Payne, a detective for the NYPD um, who works undercover, particularly in like the vice unit. So he he's trying to like break a, uh, a, a drug ring that that's going on. And he was in homicide at one point. Um, because it was a desk job and he only went to homicide as a desk job because his first child was on the way. Um, he wanted to spend more time at home with his, uh, his baby and his wife. 
um, and he arrives home one day to find that his house has been broken into, that the murderers are still there, uh, or that the the people who broke in are still there, and he is just minutes too late to stop them from murdering his wife and child. So then he goes back into to Vice, goes back out on the streets, and even though he's working sanctioned cases, like you start the game working a sanctioned case, it is a vendetta ride. It's He knows that he can figure out who killed his wife and child, but he has to kill his way to the top. He's going to go outside the law, and he's just going to shoot his way up the, uh, up the ladder. And where the game goes is it's broken up into three parts, where it starts off, you're chasing these low-level thugs in like the New York City Mafia, uh, and and just trying to like figure out like who the who the local players are. The second part is you've moved up the chain to like some of the big major crime families, and now you have to take on even nastier uh, criminals uh, who have more resources and and more weapons at their uh, at their disposal. The third part of the game is it turns out that the crime families were actually all being set up, and they were being uh, they were being paid off by a major pharmaceutical corporation and Max Payne has to go to the glass and steel towers of downtown and shoots his way up a pharmaceutical organization that is essentially like a a front for a drug ring so kind of prescient in that it almost predicted like the rise of like oxy and um you know the the whole Sackler family bullshit uh but the game really does a much better job at developing the connections between the low-level thugs to the mid-level thugs to the crime family to the the, the syndicate, um, and it's and it's all played out like a graphic novel narrated by this gravelly-voiced, hard-boiled detective who everything he says is down here like this, and he talks in constant metaphors like the sun going down with practiced bravado, like that's Max nope. Payne. No matter what's going on, he also speaks. In dead monotone, there is no inflection at all. It is this the entire time. It is. It's dead inflection the the whole game, and uh, and even the way he like addresses um, uh, like his enemies sometimes. Like he'll just he'll say their names straight out loud. Like when he kicks in the door to see them, like <laughs> Rico Muerte, big time thug. And you're like, all right, I guess we're fighting Rico Muerte now. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I think that made, uh, in my personal opinion, Max Payne such a fun video game was this like kaleidoscope of bizarre characters that came through it that are just aren't present in the movie. Like we don't get Rico Muerte, we don't get Frankie the Bat Niagara, uh, we don't get the uh, the Finito Brothers, we don't get Vinny Gogniti. Um, there are fan service elements to those characters in the movie, but they themselves are missing. And I think that what this movie really misses is a ton of personality. So, what are your thoughts, Josh? Well, so hold on, because you said we don't get Gogniti. What it? What, what's the name of this little drug informant guy in the movie then? Uh, me. Yeah, let's Let me go back real quick. Yeah, because Gog- I I know that Gogniti is mentioned in a fan service moment where, um, if you look over behind Max Payne, he like passes like Gogniti's auto supply or something like that, and it's like, oh, that's that's the most we're gonna get out of, uh, out of this. So, um, yeah, Gogniti is not in it. Um, I'm trying to th- so, uh, the the Finito brothers are like one of the the initial sub bosses that you have to fight. They are not present. Um, the the battle against Frankie the Bat Niagara is one of the most dramatic fights in the entire game. That's Frankie's not in it. Rico Muerte, who is one of the initial sub bosses you have to take down, he's not there. They lean really heavy in, into Jack Lapino in this, and Jack Lapino is the first like proper boss fight in uh um in the Max Payne game, but they make Jack Lapino in this movie a little bit more like even keel and sinister. Whereas Jack Lapino in the Max Payne game is a fucking nutcase, like just absolutely batshit occult crazy. Uh, and again, that was personality that I thought was, was lost from, uh, from the movie. So, um, okay. Did you, did you find the, his, his drug informant? I, I can't remember the guy's name either. I can't. I can't find him. Yeah, that's that's bugging me. Yeah, um, because he says his name. Is it Doug? Is he Doug? He's not Doug. Maybe he's um, Doug. Yeah. Ah, that's that's gonna bug me. Yeah. Uh, Nelly Furtado was in this also, though. 
She was. She was uh, the the wife of um, uh, Donald Logue. Uh, yeah. Alex Balder. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I know. I noticed that there's some. Yeah, like you said, there's there's some fan service to uh, Gugini and uh, or Gagniti and. Uh, I could have sworn there was something about the Finita brothers in there too, but maybe there's, there a, line of, there, there's a line of dialogue maybe somewhere that could be that it. mentions them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to point out how this movie to me is, it's a, so it's, it's, it, it's a film noir. Yeah. Like it's paying homage to not just the game series, but also to the genre of film noir where it's a morally nebulous protagonist mm-hmm. that's working outside the law um, to, to get justice uh, yeah. Surprise, surprise. There are femme fatales. There are shady informants and characters. You have to go to all these low life places to find your information. Uh, to me, this movie gave me a lot of Punisher vibes. Yeah. Uh, if you remember the uh, the 2004 Punisher film. Absolutely. Which I think is a great movie, by the way. Um, but I was like, this movie kind of follows very similar beats. Mm-hmm. And I think you lose a little bit of what would make this unique make this like a particular franchise in this case, Max Payne, um, because the, the story just is very, uh, they don't lean hard enough in the elements to make it unique in its own story. It's just like, Oh, it's a, it's a gritty, uh, you know, lone cowboy cop sort of thing. Right. Um, so there's nothing particularly unique about the story. I think one of the things that sets it apart is all the, all the Norse myth stuff. Which is all over this movie, but it's also all over the game. Yeah. So the the game. Th- this is one of the cool things about the game that, like, I, I think does pull in that uh, that film noir like style element a, a little bit better. Is like the film noir movies always had like a, 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 an element of mysticism to them, right? Like, you know, it wasn't just the hard boiled detective. It was kind of the hard boiled detective going up against. Not only the criminal underworld, but maybe something a little bit supernatural about them. We gotta get the Ruby of Caval. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the way that the Max Payne games went is they they leaned into, well, at least the first one, um, leaned into Norse mythology. And in fact, um, the boss battle against Jack Lupino takes place at a club called Ragnarok. Uh, like that's his like yeah. this seedy nightclub that he runs, and that's one of it, it. Apart from just being one of the coolest settings in the game, that's when like it really starts to expose itself for having like these this sort of like weird supernatural underpinning of of Norse mythology, uh, and um, yeah, the the movie kind of approaches that. Well, it's all it's all name dropped, and you have the tattoo artist that explains what like the symbol is right uh, to give you the, the exposition um, about the Valkyrie and the connection to the Valkyrie right. and everything. But uh, there's no Alfred Woden. Nope. Which is um, if you are not a myth nerd, uh, Woden is one of the versions of Odin, the all father and Alfred Woden in the Max Payne games is a one eyed asshole that's in the background of everything always pulling the strings but never directly involved yes 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 so he's absolutely he he is he's the odin in all of this but um I, I was just like yeah there's no there's no explanation right for all the the norse myth stuff but this also leads into another note that i wrote where i said uh max is a shitty detective well, in this movie, he is. Yes, he's a horribly <laughs> shitty detective because the 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 Val the Valkyrie symbol is everywhere. Yes, the drug is called Valkyr. Right. Uh, the company is the Acer Corporation. <laughs> Anyone who goes, hang on, I've seen a Thor movie, uh, goes, wait a minute, and it's just that there's no big mystery. There, I mean, there's a mystery, I guess, in terms of finding out specifically who murdered his family but it's very easy like i don't know why this has taken him so long i think at the games is what (laughs) three years uh because in the film he says it's like a year yeah yeah so i think it's it's yeah in the game it's three years separating him from the murder of his family to when he like begins to crack the case like the 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 game takes place over the course of like a week uh but 
it's it's from the initial like inciting incident. Yeah, it's like a three year separation because he has to. Part of it is um, in the game he has to credibly destroy his uh, his original life so that he can go undercover again. And so uh, there's there's an aspect to like he just needed time to wipe out you know the the life that he had before. Also, uh, the name of his his cop friend that's murdered. Uh, yeah, uh, name? the uh, it's Boulder, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Alex Balder. I'm yep. like, hello. Uh-huh. But we're just going to blow past that because go that's not right. important in the film. I, again, there, th- and this is where I, the, the writing for the original Max Payne game is remarkably clever. And if you, if you are well-read at all, you know all of these little things. You understand like how all of this fits together and... That, you know, Ragnarok was the era where the gods fought and the gods died. And so you have, like, the death of Balder. You have Woden just in the background. Um, yeah, because Balder's death is what kicks off Ragnarok. Right, exactly. And, and Alex Balder's death is one of the very first things that happens in the Max Payne game. Is you're at the Roscoe Street Station trying to, trying to crack this, this little drug ring... And your buddy Alex Balder is killed right in front of you. Yeah, uh, the I think that was all done very well in the film. Uh, I think the where his you know because this you can tell that Alex is also kind of like he's been deal- struggling with this too. Right, he's just he's been trying to go at it, and I guess just hasn't had an effing lead until Natasha's death. Right. And Natasha ends up having Max Payne's personal effects on her. Um, but he, like, recognizes the tattoo. And I'm like, if 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 there are drug addicts that are ending up dead all over the city with this tattoo on them, it, it, like, someone should have gone, oh, hey. Someone but we are put this together. Yeah. We're talking about the ver- a version of the New York police force that is not very good at the job and doesn't, like, communicate probably across departments. Like, probably whoa. very woefully inept it's not a great it's not a great look for the police in this in this movie no like everyone's an asshole (laughs) and stupid (laughs) there's yeah there's there's two people that are not there are two cops that are not assholes in this movie and it's uh the very first guy that we meet that's going to be working in the cold cases with max we see him in that scene never again nope I was like, well, this was wasted. Like, this was just to create some <laughs> very flimsy background about Max Payne. But it was like, you never see that character again. Right. Ever. Uh, and then uh, Bravara, uh-huh. uh, Ludacris's character. Right. Uh, he, you know, you think he's an antagonist, but then, you know, he kind of, as the case unravels and it evolves, you realize he's like. And and Chief Jim Bravara in, uh, in the game um, who, like, I, I think that there was some initial outcry over them casting Ludacris in this role um, because Bravura in the game is supposed to be kind of like Commissioner Gordon, like this uh, sort of like frumpy old white guy who's, you know, seen it all but uh, is is maybe past his prime. I didn't have a problem with Ludacris in this role. I actually thought he he brought some interesting energy to Bravura and especially his, like, the way that, that you just put it, he plays the antagonist well even though we know he is like he's he's actually on Max's side, so I think he captures that energy pretty good. Um, but uh, he's also not nearly as present as Bravura is in the game. Like Bravura is constantly like feeding Max information, even though he like knows he's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh it, you know because we've mentioned uh, the Batman Begins. Yep, franchise already. Like I will draw another parallel with, uh, with with Gordon in that series. He's constantly trying to follow what the Batman is doing. Yes, and he's always getting there, and he's just kind of like, "What is going on?" Ostensibly, he's a good guy that is supposed to be an obstacle to Batman because Batman is considered a criminal, right? Uh, but there they are on the same side, and yes. yeah, there, there's a very a similar parallel with Bavara and Payne and Payne, yeah, in in this movie, uh. I really liked it's something that threw me off in all the trailers and stuff. And maybe you can bring some video game knowledge into this. But I really liked the drug tripping effect. Mm, Okay, I thought that was very that was a very interesting choice to really let your audience 
try to see and experience what the the people on Valkyr are going through. Okay. Yeah, so um, there are actually two drug trips that you have to survive in Max Payne in the game. Okay. Um, and they play out in really they're they're actually one of the more polarizing elements of the game because it's a very it's a it's such a huge departure. Most of the game is a shoot 'em up, right? It's a over the shoulder third person shoot 'em up. The, what made the game interesting was the mechanic that you could slow down time to dodge past bullets. It was it invented it before the Matrix did actually. Bullet time. Um, Bullet time came out in two thousand one. When did Max Payne come out? Yeah, two thousand one. No, I mean Matrix was ninety nine. Oh, was it? Yeah, I will have to look it up. Give give Keanu Reeves his due. Uh, he he didn't invent it. <laughs> uh, no, hang on. Now I'm just curious. Um, the original we got because now I got to get this right because it's it's going to be Max Payne, uh, Max Payne the video game 2001. Eh, fine. All right. Maybe I was wrong on that one. Either maybe way. the first video game. First so, video game usage. Yeah, anyway. There we go. Um, <clears throat> There are two drug trip sequences in the game, and there's such a departure that uh, it slows down. It actually brings the pace to a grinding halt because it's they're weird. Um, but they are hallucinogenic paranoia trips. So uh, in the game, you'll run down hallways that seem like they will never end. Like you just keep running and running and running, and you can hear your wife's voice at the end. You can hear the baby crying at the end, and you know that that's the direction you're supposed to be going, but it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere. Um, you'll get into uh, your own home, which you explore your house at the very beginning of the game. So you know what the layout is supposed to be, except that in the drug trip, rooms lead to places that they're not supposed to. Doors open into like elements of the New York underworld that you're like, this isn't where any of this is supposed to go. Um, you have to follow these very narrow blood trails that end in like... Uh, like bottomless pits on either side if you fall off. So it, it it's this incredibly hallucinogenic moment. Um, it actually, the, the second drug trip in the game has my favorite moment in the whole series is when uh, you open the door to a room and there's a phone ringing and he answers it and it's himself saying, Max, wake up, you're in a video game. And uh, Max, he's like, suddenly I could see it. Weapon statistics floating above my head, my own health lingering there in the air. And it's, he's like, I was in a video game. Well, and there's a couple of versions of that, right? Right. Like there's a video game one, there's a comic book one. Yeah, because he hangs up, you open the door to leave the room, and you just walk back into the room, and the phone's ringing, and it's him again going, Max, wake up, you're in a graphic novel. And he's like, suddenly I could see it, my words (laughs) hanging like thought bubbles above my head, I was in a graphic novel. Right, so, so anyway... That's the way that Valkyr is portrayed in the video game. Is this? It's a, a drug that takes all of your fears and paranoias and surfaces them in this terrible hallucinogenic ride. And uh, they do a more stylized version in the movie, which, again, trying to be as fair as possible, I don't hate uh, the way that they they present it. I'm not. I, I don't hate the way that they they approach Valkyr as a drug. I think they they maybe could have held off on the reveal of what it was okay. um, because it does add some scary elements when you see the, the addicts on it and yeah. you kind of see hints of what they're seeing and everything. But there is a lot there where you're kind of like, okay, but it, is it just, mm-hmm. no, it's just the jug, right? Or is like, is there a demon coming to kill them? Right. Like the, there's enough weird, like mysticism in it that you're kind of like, what's going on. But on, if you watch it multiple times, you're like, okay, no, this is, this is a drug trip and just like it's just what's killing them. What's what they're experiencing. But if they had held off on that reveal until Max Payne went on the drug, I think it might have been more effective. Yeah. But yeah, Max Payne gets two major uh, drug trips in the film. Yeah. Too, when he initially takes it and like looks like he does a, a, a Dragon Ball power up. Uh, <laughs> and then when he uh, takes it again in the office building and um everything's there trying to kill him. And then his wife appears and is like, not yet. Right. And stuff like it, they're very good poignant moments. I, I, I wonder if people criticize that, but I thought it was actually well done in, in, in terms of, you know, trying to show an audience what, what, what people are experiencing on right. this drug. Uh, again, there's just not enough. I think the film should have gone harder into the North stuff to really, make the parallels mean something 
Sure. I think because it's like, what are the odds just in the real world? What are the odds <laughs> that there is a corporation called Acer that makes a drug called Valkyr? Right. Uh, and there happens to be a CD underground club called Ragnarok. <laughs> and it's and all there's a guy killed whose name is Balder. Like it's it's all just it's it's a little absurd when you when you think about it. Uh, I have another beef with this Go movie, for, it, but I think it. it's a beef I have with this um, with this story plot in general, just like across the board in this genre. Like it's always a go-to. Okay. The wife and kid are always killed. Yeah. Uh, in this instance, a baby. Yeah. It's horrific, and it's supposed it to really set the audience up against the villain because you're like, they're a bad fucking dude. Yes. Like th- this, they murdered a baby. So like that's the point. Right. But still, a smart criminal, a smart murderer, would not kill the baby. <laughs> well, so the I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is that the. The, the the criminals in this aren't supposed to be smart. They're supposed to be tripped out addicts who aren't even necessarily aware of their own actions. Like that's that's what the in in the again in the game, the two people that have broken into Max's house he discovers are like tripping on Valkyr. They're raving mad lunatics. They're they're in the middle of a trip that they they can't they can't rationalize. They can't explain. Like they they just become violent. And so they kill anything and everything in their path, and that's what that's what happens. Okay, so in the game, it's not BB. Mm-mm. Okay. No. Yeah. That's and this is that's another, an important that's an important distinction. It's another major departure, right? BB is BB is uh, this really slick shifter in the game where he's another one who's always pulling the strings from like behind the scene. He's and a he's, Loki character. He's he's a Loki. Uh, yeah, analogous. He's just there's nothing in his name to suggest that, but exactly. But yeah, he like he actually frames Max for um, Alex Balder's murder. That's right. what like kicks off Max's on the run from the police as well. Is um, he's framed for Balder's murder at the very beginning of the game, and BB is the one who pulls the strings on that. Okay, great. Because I want to talk about BB for a second because yeah. uh, th- this is actually he's got a similar defect that the rock has in doom. Okay. Where a switch flips uh, in that character. Yeah. And you don't see like he just goes insane. Now yep. in BB's case, it's just he finally reveals that he's been doing all this. Spoiler, he's the one that killed Max's wife and child. Like he's right. he's the one that actually killed them. Uh and but he just decides to confess this all and now he's free and he's just admitting that he's just a psychotic monster who enjoys killing right he's like i could have been doing this all my life i could have been killing people and i'm like there's nothing to really lead to this it just he just snaps and and again this is where the the game is much more clever than the movie is in that bb is um he he orchestrates all of these hits from behind the scenes not because he's like some sort of psychopath that likes to kill he just he's on the take like one of the things when you when you finally figure out it's bb who's been pulling the strings and and he's the one that is uh like behind a lot of some of these elements one of the things that max calls out in game is he's wearing clothes that are way above a new york cop's pay grade and there's there's like this um slickness to him that is more like socialite than police officer and that's when max puts together this guy's being bribed like he he's doing all of this for money. He's being bribed out the wazoo, and uh, yeah, he's on the take, and and that's why he's he's doing all the shitty stuff. And so the the game orchestrates that turn better in that BB doesn't just come right out with it. It's Max starts to put together. It had to be somebody on the inside. There's somebody. There's something about this guy that doesn't align with what a New York City detective should be should look like. It's him. Well. I- I'm and I'm going to argue in in defense of the film because I think it's more. It, it would be subtler that BB was once a cop, but now he's private. He mm. he works security for this company for Acer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the whole film is set up to kind of make Lupino the big fall guy for <laughs> right. everything, uh, and BB is insane. And you're like, oh well, 
it would make more sense if BB was kind of cool and collected where he's just been like, he's doing this for the company. Yep. He's doing this to protect the company. And that's how a lot of the film seems to go until in the final act where he's like, I just love killing people. And and that's what the first part that you described. That is BB in the game is he's cool, calm, collected the entire time. And Lupino is the psychopath. And Lupino is also like he he plays a major part in the first act of the game, but then you knock him off and he's just like a rung on the ladder. They give Lupino a lot of whoever wrote this movie loved Jack Lupino because they they lean on him. They do, but he doesn't have a lot of development as a no, character. No, he doesn't either. He's just <laughs> he really doesn't. there and yeah, you're just he's just there to look menacing and you're like, "Oh, well, that's your bad guy. Let's see how long it takes Marky Mark to figure it out." Well, and what's funny is like one of the ways that again, a, a, a cool way that the game um develops the character without just having him on screen is Max is uncovering letters from Jack Lapino to some of the other underbosses. Mm-hmm. And so you see a descent into madness. Like as you're reading Lapino's letters to the other underbosses, you get the sense like this guy's kind of going a little a little crazy. And then you start reading letters to Jack Lapino from the bigger mob bosses who are like, get it together, man. You're off your fucking rocker. And that's when you put together, wow, he's made a psychotic turn. And okay. um, yeah, so they they develop his character without ever having him on screen. And it's it's a brilliant way that, like, I can't say it enough. The game, the way that it's written is just far more clever than this movie is. The The movie really, really, um, it, 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 it has, it lacks for personality and it lacks for cleverness. See, I don't remember the video game too well. So while working on this uh this episode, I went back and did um, basically a uh, cutscene watch. Okay. Like all the cutscenes of Max Payne 1. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it's over the top. It is. It is over the top and <laughs> leans into all these different stereotypes super hard. Yep. Where I was like, I don't know that I would argue that the game is better than the film in certain in certain things. Because this is so like... We're mob guys. You can totally tell we're mob yeah. guys because we're so super over the top mob guys. I'm gonna go get some uh, some spaghetti because I'm a mob guy. Like there's so much of it, and a lot of the humor is so stereotypical. Well, and that's what I would argue is like the game's self awareness, right? Okay. And it was doing it was doing the self awareness bit way before self awareness was like kind of a tired trope. So I, I mean. I, to be to, to be fair to your point, a revisit of the Max Payne game, twenty two years later, may not have the same kind of like gravitas that it originally did. It was it was groundbreaking at the time, um, and it was very interesting and different for the time that it that it came out. But you could be onto something that a revisit we might be like, wow, this is it's just not it's not as clever as as it seems. But I feel like you can also make that argument for a lot of. Um, film noir movies that were released in the 40s and 50s. We're going back and watching them today. You'd be like, this is stupid. No, absolutely. Like Humphrey Bogart never changes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Like Sam Spade all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, I swear early on, I, I thought Casablanca was a Sam Spade movie because I didn't it's... realize that people can play different characters without changing characters. <laughs> Bogey. Yeah, he's only got one one note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and Max Payne is definitely paying tribute to, to that. Yeah. But I would argue this as a point in Mark Wahlberg's favor is he inflects slightly more than video game than video game Max. So Mark Wahlberg was 100% the wrong casting for this film. Not because, like, it's... You needed somebody with... For this role, you really needed somebody who is like a black hole at their center, like has gravity. And Mark Wahlberg just doesn't. Like Mark Wahlberg is a great action star. I think he's really good in roles where he's not taking himself as seriously. Like um, I think of The Big Hit, which I think is a perfect Mark Wahlberg role, where it just shows him off as being sexy, slick, funny, perfect, well done. In this space, he does not deliver and not just because, like, his, just his voice, like, Mark Warburg, he's a little more up here, you know? And Max Payne is way down here. Max Payne has Batman voice, and Mark Wahlberg doesn't. Wahlberg's from Boston, correct? Yes, he is. Why does he keep playing a New York cop? I don't know, man. Like, it's driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think he finally plays, uh, he did Netflix's, like, remake of Spencer Confidential. Okay. 
where I, like I think that's actually like a Massachusetts set film. Yep. Uh, but again, you're you're talking about another role where you're like, gotta give me a little more, right? <laughs> a little more. You're a little dead. Something. Um, and I, I I think that I had like creeping uh, suspicions that this was going to be a bad movie when I read that Mark Wahlberg did not play the video game prior to taking the role because he quote didn't want to get addicted to playing it. And in my mind, I'm like, no, that's not the case. It's you just did not care enough. Like you just, I, I, I wonder if this was a studio deal. Like he owed this studio so many films and they're like, we're going to put you in Max Payne. And I, I wonder if he didn't want this role. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I've not found any trivia to say one way or the other, but um, yeah, that would be, that would be very interesting. Yep. The stuff that like struck, uh, kind of stuck out at me as yeah. like video game moments is, um, Probably the big one was the Acer Plaza. Yeah. Like final showdown, the setup for Acer Plaza and the police chatter and everything. I was like, that's very evocative of uh, the beginning of the video game. Yeah. You finally have an actual shootout in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The Ragnarok fight in the Mm -hmm. movie, I think, was an homage to the video game play style. Yeah. Especially with the, the, the shotgun. Yeah. Action and everything. And then when Max, for no reason, does this backflip thing. Right. Uh, yep. Which is kind of over the top, unless you're like, oh, it's video game fan service. <laughs> also, Ragnarok in the film did not scream abandoned nightclub. No, it did not. It, that's, you know, that's it neither here nor there. <laughs> Unlike the place he visits at the beginning of the movie, which is uh-huh. a, a dirty nightclub. Right. But that's not Ragnarok. Well, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I, I thought for what we were given, I, I thought Mark did a decent Max Payne impression. I, he, I'm going to fully disagree, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll that's allow. Fair. It. <laughs> that's fair. Um, so overall, uh, I enjoy watching this movie. Yeah. Uh, moments that took me out of the film, okay. honestly, were it was it was actors. Okay. Seeing Chris O'Donnell in a role that I would not have associated with Chris O'Donnell, I was like, oh what? And then he's such a small role in this yeah. film. Like you thought he was going to be. A bigger like I thought he was going to be like the corporate bad guy. Yeah, not uh, I hate to say this, but I did not expect you know I did not anticipate BB, right? Because um, Bo Bridges to me is usually a good guy, right? And I was like, Bo, how dare you? Yeah, um, I'm going to talk to your brother Jeff. Uh, <laughs> so it like it totally yeah you know, it, it did totally get me the first time I watched it, right? Um, and then. Uh, Mila Kunis as a Mona, Mona Sachs. Mona yeah. Sachs. I was like, why Mila Kunis? And, and I don't mean that as anything against her. It's just, I, I think prior to this, I, I've seen her in vastly different work. Well, and, and not only that, but especially if you play uh, Max Payne 2, where Mona Sachs is a central character. You actually play as Mona in, in a number of uh, sequences in Max Payne 2. Mona Sachs is a true hardcore badass femme fatale um just as if not more capable than max in terms of like her gunplay uh and and her ability to just like fight off hordes of of uh antagonists um mona sax is supremely cool and is she's a really kick-ass character and i just didn't get that read on mila kunis i well, and she's, she's just kind of a, a side obstacle yeah in this movie that becomes like reluctant ally, but in such a small way. Yeah. And in the way that she, what she brings to the role, it just doesn't read. I, th- I, what, I what I will say is, um, and I don't think Mona Sachs is actually in the, if I remember correctly, she's not, she isn't Russian. Um, the Russian mob plays a big part in both Max Payne one and two, but I did appreciate that. Mila Kunis had an opportunity to speak because it's does she speak is it is it Russian I, I think she's speaking Russian yeah um, and she like when she busts into it that's a cool moment that's mm-hmm. that's closer well, to what I think the, of the moment. film doesn't translate for you either right exactly which I love that yeah that was neat yeah no her introduction's cool and the angle of her being after Max because you know her it's her sister that died after right. taking his stuff um, I. I just wish there had been more for her. And yeah. then she disappears. Yeah. 
and you're left the film where you're like, did she make it out of right. the building? Did she die? We don't know. Right. Unless you stay after the credits. <laughs> we get a stupid post-credit sequence. We got a tiny post-credit scene because this was supposed to set up a franchise. Well, and, and that's the thing is this, it, if they had done Max Payne the first game as a trilogy of movies, make them each 90 minutes, tightly wound, but you get like the gunfights from Roscoe Street Station up through Ragnarok, and then from Ragnarok up through the Mob Bosses Manor, and then from the Mob Bosses Manor up through um, the, the Acer Corporation takedown. If they'd done three movies, really delved into the characters, really dug into the grit of it all, um, I think that there was a lot more potential for this to have been a faithful and really cool adaptation. But they didn't. They tried to cram what is a... I mean, it's not a long game, but it's it's like a 10-hour video game into one 90-minute film. Like, you just... You lose so much. You do lose so much, but at the same time, is there enough plot and character development that you would break it up into three movies? I, I'll give you two. Okay. You think there's enough for two? I think there's enough for two. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the the games definitely has a larger cast of characters than what we saw in the film. Right. And that's what I would have liked to have seen is I, I, I wanted to see more of these characters uh, and, and I want to see them uh, appropriately brought to screen because um, the way that like even the villains are portrayed is some of them are built up to be super sinister and then they turn out to be paper tigers when you confront them. And some of them like live up to their reputation, and you're like, "Oh, this is this is not going to go well, is it?" Um, so I just I, I what what makes Max Payne as a game um, so fundamentally cool and fun? Like I said, it's the personality in the game, and that's what this movie is missing. It's the characters just don't have personality; they just don't. Okay, all right. So you think it's it's just overall kind of too flat. It is. It's it's way too flat. And even though, like you pointed out, like the there's a lot of caricature in the game, um, where yeah, all the all, all the bad guys they talk like this, you know. Um, it still injects personality into into it. And it, I just yeah, go ahead. The game is remarkably meta. It is. Uh, like, <laughs> it's it, incredibly. It, it, meta. It, yeah. it really gets close to satire mm-hmm. uh, because it is so over the top. And I'm like, I don't know if I would have enjoyed a film. Of this as a game, yeah, okay. but I'm like, if you if you translated this much to the big screen, I think I would have been like, oh, okay. you'd have lost it. Like I'm yeah, like, okay. is it a comedy? <laughs> like, uh, maybe. And I love film noir. Like I love right. classic film noir, but I also don't take them seriously. Right. I think because right. they're just so bizarre. And yep. I'm wondering if they were meant to be that bizarre back in the day when these were made. We're like, was it? Did, did people take this stuff a little more seriously or were they were like, this is so bonkers. The Maltese Falcon, really? Um, I, it's a fair question to ask, though. Like, looking back at the, the film noirs of the 40s and 50s, like, were they taken seriously? Were they actually like, you were going in for a drama or was it a little hokey? And even they knew that. Yeah, because, like, you think of the... Uh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing back to uh, Great Movie Ride. Rest in peace. Yes. Uh, and they did those those the gangster, you know, and they showed yeah they showed the trailers for the gangster <laughs> movies and the movies, and you're just like the the way they were the the movie announcer was like talking to you, and you're like you're going in there just gonna be like oh give me senseless entertainment this right. is, has no yep. basis in reality, so I don't know. It's a good uh, the question. Other, yeah, the other thing I will say about you know your idea of of spraying it out across multiple movies is yeah we know that by and large studios are reluctant to commit right off the bat to commit to multi-films. Yes. Which is a struggle if your story requires multi-films. Yep. Uh, studios meddle a lot, which is yes. one of the reasons why it is astounding that the Lord of the Rings trilogy got made. Yeah, I, that's that's an excellent point. Um, but, you know, the, the source material was solid enough, and Peter Jackson had a, had a good enough treatment and found the right people. Because it yeah. took him a minute, because there was a lot of studios that were like, oh, can you make it like one or... Maybe two movies. Right. But he was like, uh, no, we're... But and, he, yeah, go ahead. I mean, he was going for... he. I think he was willing to negotiate into two films. Okay. And it was the guys at New Line that were like, well, it's it's three books, so why don't you do three movies? And he was three? like, yes, thank you. Finally. Uh, I think it's very hard to, to capture that sort of thing again, to have studios willing to take that risk. 
Well, and, and Max Payne is is still slightly before the era where movies just became exorbitantly and prohibitively expensive. I, I think that um, if there's one thing that I think the the quote unquote Avengers era of filmmaking did that truly broke cinema, it's that uh, the the Avenger movies, the the Marvel movies, because they came you know packing with Disney money. They, they sort of upped the ante on what people expected you need to spend on movies to make them successful. And now we live in a space where movies are so expensive to make that it is prohibitive for studios to enter in like, yeah, of course we're going to sign it for three movies right off the bat. Like they, They're like, no, we need to make sure that one of these is, uh, is going to do okay first. And yeah. Well, and that's one reason why I really appreciate MCU phase one. Sure. Because it wasn't Disney until Avengers. Like, That's a good point. Disney came in late yeah. and gave money for Avengers, but all those other movies were other uh, distributors. Yeah, it's a good point. I think they were mostly Paramount. I think it reads heaviest in Iron Man. The yeah. first Iron Man movie is so fundamentally different from any of the others that... Yeah, and that you were dealing with uh, very tight budgets. To yeah. get those movies going, like they were, they even talk about. They're like, it's it. You're you're going to be paid this amount, and you're not going to get that much more, and and so what's, on and so forth. What's so interesting about that is that those movies were better written. Like, and this is this is what's this is the the flaw of like these expensive over the top movies. I think is that if you have the budget, you'll grow into your budget, and you'll 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 just do the effects. To keep people like entertained for 20 minutes like a fireworks display. If you don't have a budget, you have to rely on the movie itself being good. And they're just they're better written, they're more tightly wound because they know that if the if the movie isn't good, the effects that they're gonna be able to bring to it definitely won't be. So they better keep people entertained with the actual film itself. Yeah. So going back to Max Payne, yeah, came out the same year as Iron Man and the Dark Knight. Uh-huh. Uh this movie is is fine. It, I think it's perfectly watchable and it's okay. Uh, and I want to discuss with you yeah. if this wasn't Max Payne, would you have a different view of this movie? I would like this movie. You think? Okay, you would like I, this movie. I I think that what it is is actually very cool. And I think that this would be like a cult classic modern um, film noir film. Um, the uh, the like you were saying the the way that they portray the drug trips, uh, the the Valkyr is sort of like uh, are they demons are they monsters or is it just all in the junkie's head? Um, it, I, I'd have I'd have some criticisms about it being a PG thirteen film when I think that this should have leaned harder into R even if it wasn't Max Payne. Um, I think that this should not have been as uh. uh as kid gloved of a movie. This, this movie definitely straddles the line because I do not personally feel like it's a PG 13 film. Yeah. It's it. They, they, they pull a lot of punches though, but either, either way, um, if, if this was not Max Payne, if it, if it wasn't supposed to be associated with, I'd even probably like Mark Wahlberg more. I might have kinder things to say about his performance in this, in this movie, because I know that, it would have been an original interpretation. It wouldn't have been hinting at something that I, I that I know really well. Um, I think that this is a, a, again, if I'm being completely honest and, um, and and fair, this is a really cool movie. Um, there's a lot about it to like in in kind of a weird fantasy detective way. Um, there's there are underpinnings of potential in this film. But it's Max Payne. And because it's Max Payne, I really hate it. But if it were not, yeah, man, this is a cool movie. There you go. I think for me, I'm like, yeah, this movie's pretty all right. But there's, it just, it evokes, like I said, The Punisher, which I really yeah. love. I really loved uh, The Punisher 2004 film. Um, and then uh, there's also like Sin City vibes yeah. a little bit, which uh, yeah. I think everyone adores Sin City. Absolutely. Uh, not so much the sequel, but it's uh, <laughs> like, yes, this is a this is a fun film to watch. Yeah. Honestly, I think they screwed up with the post credit scene. I think it should not have been post credits. Oh, you think it should have just come right at the, the end or some? No, because yeah, because Ryan, I, I, I have the same habit you do. The credits come on and I turned <laughs> off the film. You turn off the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But I was like, 
the thing I walked away with that was bugging me watching the movie, I was like, what the hell happened to Mona Sachs? Right. Because there's nothing, like, it's no nebulous. Like, we don't know what happened to her. I was like, that's kind of weird. I was like, did I miss something? Uh, and then the 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 CEO gets off scot-free. Right. Even though she's clearly behind all of this, but she's presented as, like, untouchable. And I was like, there's nothing, there's nothing here. And so there was another time I actually let the let the credits run. Well, and in in the in the game, Mona's fate is nebulous, where uh, she saves Max in a shootout, um, disappears into an elevator, and when he tries to follow her up the same elevator, there's just blood splatters in it, and he, and you never see her again. Mm. And so he's like, I don't know what happened to Mona. Um, and, and again, that's pretty cool because she's in a shootout, and the last you see her in the film is in an elevator. Is in an elevator, and right? Then the building explodes. Right. Um, and one of the interesting things about uh, the the video game is you don't actually like pull the trigger on the CEO. Um, you don't you don't gun her down. It's on a windy rooftop. She's trying to take off in a helicopter and you shoot down the riggings that hold up like an antenna tower and it falls on the helicopter. And that's how you right. end of the game. Um, so, yeah, it, it, like. I guess that's not as nebulous because you definitely see that helicopter explode. But anyway, <laughs> there's there's enough where she could pop back up. Right. Like I was never in the helicopter. That was my body double. Something like that. Sure. I'll take it. I'll get Mr. Woden if it's the last thing I do. Well, in, in like even Mona Sachs is the evil twin sister of Lisa Sachs in uh, the video game. So like body doubles, evil twins, again, all film noir stuff that could you can it's so use this. over the top right. yeah. so much <laughs> good god so anyway um final thoughts i think i think it's like you said i think it's a decent film that uh i i just wonder how much grief was because people didn't enjoy the film itself maybe didn't like mark Wahlberg in the leading role i think a lot of criticism for this movie has to do with this with the ip i think yeah. a lot of them or just like you where they were like, this isn't Max Payne. It, it, it just isn't. It's, it, it's a, um, and it's, it, it's so, uh, like at least with the Super Mario Brothers movie, it's such a departure that I could see as it being this kind of strange, weird reinterpretation. This has just enough in common with the video game that it's clear somebody tried, but I, I don't know, they lost the thread. And I think that's what's frustrating about it is, yeah, it's it's it is not Max Payne, and so for that reason, I um, I've a I've a hard time liking this film, despite the fact that I I if I'm again if I'm being honest, I think that it's it's actually quite likable, uh, and is is kind of an interesting take on uh, uh, on Max Payne. It's just it it just doesn't land for me. There you go. That's Max Payne, folks. That's Max Payne. Give it a watch. Yeah. I um at the moment it's not streaming free anywhere. When I watched it, it was on Tubi, but uh, it, it has since moved off. It pops up regularly on things like Tubi and, and YouTube. So if you if you keep your eye out, um, you can find this movie for free. I don't know that I can, even though I do think it's a cool movie. I don't know that I can recommend paying to rent it. <laughs> Is it not <laughs> like, a five dollar buy? I if it, well if you if if you find it for like five bucks as a DVD yeah absolutely that's that's a no brainer <laughs> pick this movie up but um, no like paying four dollars to rent it for forty eight hours fuck off with that that's not a good idea. All right, well where are we going next episode, Ryan? Where do you want to go next episode? We've uh, we we've got we've got quite a uh, quite a list to draw from. What's, we do. What's we've feeling got, good to you? Uh, it's it's tough because I'm like, do I want to keep with a certain theme? bond girl theme and go into our next film that features a bond girl or have we should we take a break from the video game adaptations go to something that is uh, a different ip uh i don't i don't know i well and that was that's what i was thinking too is i was like you know it'd be um we've we've done two video games right in a row and uh if we're wearing people out on the video game talk maybe uh, maybe we we switch it up um do you want to do superhero or uh, supernatural? I'm going to say let's do supernatural. Supernatural. All right. So I'll give you uh, I'll give you two options for supernatural: uh, Ghostbusters 2016 or The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, 
we'll do Ghostbusters uh, because Nicolas Cage needs to stay towards the end of the towards season. Towards the end of the season. All right, yeah. you got it. Folks, that's that, that is a preview. We that's our Nick Cage uh, movie this this season. It's not like you might expect Ghost Rider. It's the Sorcerer's Apprentice. We thought that'd be a bit of a swerve. So, um, okay, cool. So next week we're going to be bringing you our take on Ghostbusters 2016, subtitled uh, Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Answer the Call. Yes. Yeah. That came <laughs> that came way later after release. They were like, oh, let's slap a. A subtitle on it. A subtitle on it, so people know it's different. Answer the call. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Tune in next week. Bring the popcorn. We'll talk (laughs) Ghostbusters. We'll talk Ghostbusters. See you then.